Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to be able to come into your house, to be able to, to, to sing your gospel, to be able to hear your gospel, to be able to taste your gospel, and just to be drenched in your love. Lord, we ask you to please open us up to today's message, to hear what you have planned for us today, and to be able to walk away knowing that you are always with us. You will never abandon us, and you have a plan for our future. All these things, Father, we lift up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So here we are, week six of the league. We're very excited about it. Or week seven, I'm sorry. Last week was week six. This is week seven. Uh, And all the way back in week one, we talked about the combine, talking about figuring out talent, uh, finding out what people can give to you, how people can help um, kind of fulfill you, and we related that to dating. Then we moved into draft day, when you're committing to the talent that you find, you're committing to what you've discovered in someone else and how you've been able to really figure out that it's not about what they can give to you, but more about what you can give to them. And so that's your wedding day. Then we moved into talking a little bit more about um, building your team. And although some of you may have thought that's about building your families, having kids, more so what it was about is who do you surround yourself with? How do you create your front office? How do you make sure that the people who are speaking into your lives, your close-knit group of friends, are the people who God had intended to be there? They're people who are speaking, really, God's will into your life rather than Satan's. And then Reformation weekend, you may have thought, oh, we'll take a break from the league, but we didn't. We were able to see how Martin Luther was fighting a same issue that that happens in marriage and happens in our relationships everywhere, and it's not about just checking a box. It's about truly loving someone and sharing that grace and understanding that God does not expect you to just check a box in order to earn your salvation. He's given you grace freely, and He loves you unconditionally. And then we moved into the grind, talking about how marriage is not something easy. It's not something that just comes and makes sense to everybody. And in our daily relationships, the same thing is true. If you're not feeling satisfied, if you're not feeling as though this is where you should be, that doesn't necessarily mean that's not where God wants you to be. And so we talk about how there's effort and work and hard things that are coming that you have to deal with. And then last week we talked about the injury report and rehab and how in our marriages and in our relationships, things can come up that, that break those relationships. They can harm us, and, and how do you move from there? How do you move on from this idea that, that, that this brokenness, this, this must be unforgivable? And we heard how God forgives us. And we are called to be like God, imitating God and forgive others. And so, if we can work through those struggles that we're having in our marriage or in our relationships, we're called to do so. As Jesus simplified the commandments into love others and love God. But what we're doing today, and Josh gave you a little bit of an uh, intro to it, is we're talking about rookie season. We're moving back a little bit in time in terms of our timeline of what's happening. We, uh, we are now in between the wedding day and the grind. It's this little period in between called your rookie season, your first year of marriage, your first year of figuring something out. And since I am getting married next week, Josh thought I would be most qualified to share with you what marriage is all about, what it's going to look like, and how perfect it will be. And so as we get into that, you'll hear a little bit more there. But before we get there, I just wanted to share how excited I am that we've been walking through a series called The League. I mean, the fact that we related it to marriage, that's great. But more so that we're relating it to football, that's where I get excited about it. I love football. 
I'm a big fan. I played for several years, uh, and now I, I will maneuver my weekends in such a way to make sure that I will see at least one of the games of the teams that I care about, um, or more. You know, it's, sometimes the days are open. Um, and so I, I love college football. That's my favorite. All right, I'm a Penn State fan. Uh, those are my guys. Uh, they're having an okay season. We're expecting a little, little, couple more wins, but that's okay. Ohio State can have their little party wins too. Um, but what I love to do is find players who are excellent, find players who are excelling at their position, and then follow them through college, and then hope and pray that they get drafted by a team that I care about. Because if they don't, they're kind of dead to me. Um, I was a really big fan of Jabril, Jabril Peppers out of Michigan. He's a safety. Uh, well, okay, he's a safety in his name, but he can literally play any position. He's phenomenal. Got drafted by the Browns, career's over. So um, <laughs> I'm really, really hoping that some of these players from this year will get drafted to the Packers. Um, they could get drafted to the Cowboys, that's fine, as long as they're okay with losing. But I, I just want to make sure that these players go to a place where I will be able to continue following them and see them succeed. And so draft day is kind of a big deal to me. For those of you who don't know, draft day happens in April. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event. And what made it even more special is draft day or draft weekend falls usually on the exact same week that seminary has their draft day. Call day at the seminary is usually the Wednesday right before the first round on Thursday. So if you think about it, when Josh and I got called on our vicarages as well as to Pilgrim, we were really the first rounders. Uh, and then the NFL continued later on. We get paid a little less, but it's, it's comparable. And it's just so exciting to be able to, to just think through this as we're walking forward because it gets me excited, which means I'm more engaged, which means I'm listening more, and I hope the same is true for you. But it also really speaks to our relationships, to our lives as Christians, to our lives in, in marriage, especially here in this day, but it's also going to speak into the experiences you're having. Because yes, marriage has a rookie season, but so does your life as a whole. And really, if we think about it, our lives are our rookie, our rookie seasons, preparing us for what Jesus has planned for us next, and preparing us for the perfection that Jesus has coming next. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about how we, how we approach our rookie seasons. So, for the NFL... These kids have been working their butts off. They have been in the weight room, they've been on the field, they've been in the film room, they've been studying playbooks. I mean, they have been doing everything they can to physically, emotionally, and mentally prepare to be the best at their sport. And so on draft day, when that finally comes, you got to think they're writing a story in their head of just something, something incredible. Like, I'm going to break each and every one of these records. You know, if I'm a running back, I'm going to set the rushing record my very first year. Or I'm going to score this many touchdowns. Or if you're on the defense, I'm going to have this many tackles. I'm going to have this many sacks. I'm going to force this many fumbles. I'm going to have this many interceptions. These guys, they've just written a story in their head. And after draft day, when they're able to meet their team for the first time, when they're able to walk into their stadium knowing that they're not paying for a ticket, they're about to step onto that field to play. That first time that they sign a contract, that first time they have an interview, that first time they walk into a press conference, it's all so exciting. And another part of football that I very much so enjoy is the Madden video game. And so for some of these rookies, part of their rookie experience, part of their rookie season, part of the excitement that comes from being drafted is they get to see themselves in this video game. 
So they're already creating a story for themselves. I mean, especially when you get to listen to a Dory Jackson up there talking about how you just, in Madden even, just set me into zone coverage, let me look in the back, I'll make a bunch of interceptions for you, put me on punt returns. Um, Some of these guys, they take that confidence into the locker rooms, and sometimes it goes well for them, sometimes it doesn't. But what they're already doing here is they're creating an image of their head of exactly what their rookie season is going to look like. What they're not thinking of as they're they're walking into the locker room before that first game is they're strapping up their helmets, lacing up their cleats, putting on their pads, velcroing up their gloves, putting all their, their spat and everything that they need on the sides and getting ready for that game. What they're not thinking of is an injury. What they're not thinking of as their career continues is all of the temptations that surround all of this money and fame that they're walking into. They're not thinking about how one wrong decision on the field could cost them their starting spot and could eventually get them fired. They're not thinking about the bad stuff because in their mind right now, where they're focused is in the excitement, in the moment. And so a lot of us, we've been able to follow our own players, maybe not in football, maybe in some other sport, and you've watched how the experience can change dramatically. And so for some, they call it the NFL experience, and and a lot of guys, they'll make money, they'll do great, they'll leave, and everything will be fine. But for a lot of guys, the NFL experience is heartbreaking. And it causes you to pause, it causes you to stop, and it causes you to really reassess what you're doing with your life because it doesn't look anything like what you'd planned. And so this next clip, I want you to check it out, and I just want to warn you before you watch it, it's, it's not graphic, but it's true. This is what some of these guys go through. This is what some of these guys are, are, are forced to deal with and to experience. And so, just be ready as you're watching. The NFL experience. That sounds cool. Kid, you're the best. Sign with me and you're going to make millions. Griffin, get out there. Ow! It's his knee. Doc! You'll never play football again. Too bad, kid. You was going to buy me a house. There it is. The NFL experience. For some, that's real. For some, that's what they experience. Obviously, that's a joke. Obviously, that's not literal. But for some guys, that's almost what it feels like. For an instant, they have everything. And then an instant later, it's all taken away. For some guys that y'all may know here in Texas, that is the experience they have. If y'all remember RG3 out of Baylor, Robert Griffin III, this guy who was just tearing it up at Baylor, making it seem like Baylor was going to become something huge in football. I'm sure they're good in other areas. But after he got drafted, after winning the Heisman, after being this incredible just monster on the field, he goes to the Redskins, tears up his knee, and now his career is totally different. He probably had images of being the one who would bring the running game back. He'd be the next Michael Vick in the NFL. But because he tore up his knee, now he's more like the backup to anyone. And then we have someone like Johnny Menzel. You know, Johnny Football, setting all these records down here. Went to Texas A&M for all you Aggies. For some reason, was just praised at Texas A&M, even though if you actually watch him play, yeah, he's fast and he can run around, and then he doesn't even look and just throws up a prayer, and wouldn't you know it, you got six receivers that are over 6'5". Yeah, someone's going to catch the ball. So you look phenomenal, but in all reality, you're athletic. Your throwing mechanics are terrible. Your attitude is kind of a problem. And then when you get to the NFL, 
Look what happens. He's not even in the league anymore. He's in rehab facilities trying to get his life back on track, and we continue to pray that he's able to do so. But his, his career, his idea of fame and fortune, well, it kind of comes from money anyway, but his idea of, of fame is now very much so shifted. And the most recent one is Deshaun Watson. Supposed to be this phenomenal quarterback coming out of Clemson, coming to the Texans. Maybe he's the guy who's going to bring the Texans to the, to the playoffs, maybe even the Super Bowl. Maybe even bring a Super Bowl back here to Houston. Would have been really nice if we would have got the World Series and the Super Bowl in one year. But then in an instant, not even in a game, in a practice, his ACL tears and he's out for the season. These guys have this idea, this image that they've created in their minds of how their rookie season is going to look, what it's going to be like, how it's going to be this awesome, just grand adventure that'll be nothing but positive things, and they're not thinking about the devastation that comes from an injury, the devastation that comes from all the temptations surrounding them, or that comes from, from just simply not being able to make it under the pressure of the NFL. Thankfully, marriage is not like that. Marriage, all of your expectations come true. Everything that you want in a marriage is exactly what it's going to be like. And where we find that is in Scripture. Because, yeah, in the NFL, they have their playbooks, they have their training manuals, they have their, their supplements and their workout programs. And in marriage, we have the Bible. And we also have all those wedding books that people write, but whatever. There's too many to read. And um, all I know is that when I get married, it's going to be exactly what I think. And I'll tell you why. Because when I first was figuring out that I wanted to marry Miss Elizabeth over here, um, I just laid it out for myself that this is how it's going to be, and this is how it's going to look. And I figured Josh shared his engagement story with you, so I'll share mine. So we met in Colorado a few years back. Um, it was wonderful. I was sitting next to someone, and I saw her, and she was actually wearing exactly this outfit she's wearing right now. Um, and I said, I'm going to take that girl out on a date. Then I did. Here we are. Um, but senior year of seminary, I figured out, man, I, I want to marry this girl. I love this girl. She, she's going to be my wife, and it's going to look really great. So I figured that out. I went to a store, took a buddy of mine with me. Uh, we went, we looked at a few rings and found the right one. So I had a ring. My grandma really wanted me to have a diamond from her, her grandpa's uh, ring when he was a pastor. So it's special. It's got significance. It's on her ring. You can look at it. I'm sure she'll love to show it to you. Um, but it's, I had the ring. I had the diamond. Now I just had to figure out how I was going to do it. So I found out that our choir was going to be in Nebraska, one of the most romantic states that there is. Um, and we were going to be there at the same time that she was in Nebraska visiting some friends um, because it's the funnest state that there is. So we were both there at the same time, and uh, at our concert, I figured, you know, if I come up with a song, I could make it really special. So I was on YouTube, found a song, it was great, found the group that did the song in the arrangement that I wanted, um, called the Philadelphia Boys Conservatory in Philadelphia, um, and asked them, hey, how much would it cost for me to purchase this arrangement so that I could use it for a proposal that I'm planning? And the guy said, well, it was written for us, so we would have to rewrite it, then we would have to get Disney's permission, uh, then you'd have to pay this much for it, 
uh, and then we would send it to you, and it should be fine from there. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, we're also leaving for tour tomorrow, and so when I get back, I can start all that. It'll take about six months. It's like, I don't have six months, um, so can I just have yours? No. All right. So that was killed. I was sad. Um, but a buddy of mine, the same one who helped me buy the ring, overheard my conversation, had heard the song that I had planned to use, heard it on YouTube and said, you know, I could probably just rewrite that based on the sounds that I'm hearing and get it all ready and set for you. I was like, well, that's awesome. We're back in business. Here we go. So he did that. It was perfect. It was wonderful. We found out what key it had to be in. And so now we just had to wait. Uh, her parents had a plan for when they thought I should propose. And I decided I didn't even want them to know when it was going to happen. So I went to their place for Christmas, did nothing, and then I did it another day. Uh, planned to do it in February around Valentine's Day. Makes it easy to remember. And um, as we got out there and we were singing, we did our entire concert. And then at the end, I remember telling Liz, hey, if you want me to be able to hang out with you tonight, since you're in Nebraska and I'm in Nebraska and we don't get to see each other that often, make sure you stand like right next to me after the concert. You know, when we go in, we're going to have a last little meeting and it'll be fine. And she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. So our director, who I had already informed what we were planning on doing, said, all right, guys, we're going to have a quick meeting in front. So we all went into the church, and I was like, Liz, stand right next to me. She's like, oh, okay. I walk in there, I get about halfway up the church, and I look next to me. She's not there. I look back, and she's out in the narthex still. I'm like, do you want me to come with you to hang out? Like, what? <laughs> and so she came, and that was fine. She sat about four rows back, and that was great. And I want to let you know, Josh lied to get Mallory to a different city. I only lied to get Liz into a different room. So mine's... Mine's better. Um, but I get her in there, and we're, the director gets us all set up up front, and uh, my buddy starts playing. He's a pianist, and he's phenomenal. And uh, it's Beauty and the Beast. And I figure she's a huge Disney fan. She has had a pass to go to Disneyland her entire life, as far as I know. Not this year, because she doesn't live there. But she's always had a pass. She loves it. It is just her favorite. And so... It's kind of a solo for the most part. I'm singing, that's great. As I'm singing, I walk out, get next to her, and I, manipulator is a strong word, but that's the best one I can think of. I, I want to make sure I know, for the most part, how you're going to react to things that happen. So if I don't think there's a chance you're going to give me the emotional reaction that I want from a situation, I might add in some extra things to make sure you will react how I want you to act. So I had thought in my mind, she might think this is a proposal. I'll kill that. So there's a point in the song where I no longer have to sing, and it's just the group singing, and it's really nice and pretty and everything. And I wrapped my arm around her, and I leaned over and said, hey, I'm sorry I missed Valentine's Day, but here's your gift. Figure, that's good. She won't even know that it's a proposal now. And maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I don't know. But I thought that was good enough. Then it goes back to me singing a solo, gets to the last note, I drop to a knee, there's this big long pause, I reach into my pocket, pull it out, and Liz, in romantic style, leans back and says, what are you doing? <laughs> That's my woman right there. There she is. Um, I ask her to marry me, she says yes, there's tears, she tries to hold them back, she's trying now, but um, yeah, everybody look. Um, but in that moment, we got engaged. And so what we had done in that moment is we had set ourselves up for a Disney-esque wedding, for this idea that everything is going to be perfect, for this idea that everything is going to, going to fall into this idea of happily ever after, we will never have any problems, 
We'll never have any struggles. We'll probably never fight. Because if you think about it, in a Disney movie, once the prince and the princess get together, everything's fine. It's only before they get together that there's a problem. You know, with Cinderella, goes to the ball, she's got her evil stepsisters, and they're being just real wicked mean to her. And so, meets her prince, everything's fine. Oh, but shoot, she has to go back home, and that's great. And until they get together, she's still experiencing all these mean people in her life. Same thing with Snow White. The evil queen wants to kill her. Literally, you need to be dead. That is what the queen wants for this woman. But once Prince Charming comes up there, kisses her, wakes her up, everything's great. And so, we must have already gone through the evil junk in our lives, because now we're together and it'll be perfect. So there's no way anything could go wrong. And my proof for that is in Scripture. And so where we're going to start today is Ephesians 5, but don't open your Bibles, because I don't want you to get distracted by the other verses around it. Um, And just take a look at the screen, I'll have it up there for you. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22. For wives, it's you. This means, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And so, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think, God, you got me here. And I was a little worried, like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm understanding it wrong. So I went back to Josh's message when he used this, and I want you to listen in and tell me what you hear. Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Men love these verses. Yes, we do. And so, Scripture has told me that my marriage is going to be perfect, because everything and anything that I say sounds like it's done. And those of you out there today who, yeah, amen, yep, that's what it is? Oh, Rick, yeah, okay, and Paul. We got two who are just going to, they're starting fights in church, here they are, they're ready to go. No, of course that's not true. Wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, that has a totally different meaning when you actually read it in the context of what's actually going on in that Ephesians passage. There's so much in Scripture that people are going to try to take advantage of and kind of pluck out like I just did and tell you, this is why it's okay to do this. This is why it's okay to live this way because the Bible tells me so. It's like, yeah, well, the Bible says a whole lot more than just wives, submit to your husband. And so let's take a look at that. Starting at verse 21, taking this passage that we just had into context, before it even says, wives, submit to your husbands, it starts out with, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before he even goes into the specific roles of a man and a woman in marriage, he's saying both of you must choose to submit to each other, to trust each other, to trust that Christ is working in your relationship to help bond you together even even tighter and to know know that you are His. And then, after that, it says for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands... This means to love your wives, 
Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, to say to each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what this passage is actually talking about is, yes, wives, you're submitting to your husbands, not because he's some domineering perfect force, but because God has called him to be the spiritual head of the house. Submission does not mean I'm going to lay down and just give up. Submission means you're actually giving him permission to lead. So who's in charge there? You know, chicken or the egg? Figure it out. But in submission, you're also trusting that God is leading this man to lead your family. And I know in our 2017 culture, Josh mentioned it, that's not our favorite thing to hear. But understand that that doesn't make you a lesser part of the marriage. That just puts you in different roles that God has already preordained in order to, to figure out where to go next. And for men, it doesn't just say, yeah, you need to lead blindly. Do whatever you want. She's going to listen. It also says you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ, Christ died for the church. Christ cares for his church physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way possible. And so we as men are called to love our wives in the same way, to be willing to give up our lives for them, to be willing to to do anything possible to make sure that when Christ returns, we can present them holy and blameless before him. It's not just going to be a, I'm sitting on the couch, bring me a beer. We're called to love them. And they're called to respect us. But for so many marriages, for so many new marriages, there's so many things in this world that sneak up on us. Similar to our reading in John, I mean, it talks about how the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he has a really good plan for that. For marriages, a lot of the times, one of the most devastating things that you can experience in a marriage is when one of them is an is addicted to pornography. Maybe they're seeking out intimacy with someone outside of their marriage, whether that be physical or just verbal, being able to to find something that you don't feel you're getting in your marriage, looking outside for some sort of satisfaction and fulfillment. For others, it can just be figuring out that one of those little tiny annoying things that your spouse did that you used to think was, oh, that's so adorable, is now the most irritating thing in the world. You just can't deal with it. It's like, oh, he was just, he's so strong-willed only to find out, no, he's kind of stubborn and a jerk. And as you're moving forward, you may think, man, this isn't at all what I expected. This is too hard. I don't want to have to deal with this. And that's the thief, that's the devil, that's his demons, that's his minions, that's sin in the world attacking you, trying to tell you that what you've done is wrong trying to tell you that you've misunderstood, you've, you've made a wrong choice, you need to do something else. 
when in actuality all that the enemy is trying to do is to steal your relationship from you, to kill the love that God had given to you in between those two people in that relationship, and to destroy anything that was positive there and God-pleasing. A fear that I have as, as Liz and I are moving forward is just how we grew up. So for Liz, Liz grew up with a brother and with two parents in her home, and if a fight came out or maybe a disagreement came up, her parents would talk about it behind closed doors. And so that's something we've talked about, that's something we're trying to get ahead, but that's something that we could very easily fall into a trap of struggling with because in my home, if my mom had a problem with something, if my mom wanted to fight about something, I was the option. And those of you who know me well enough to know my personality, I was totally up for it. You know, I'm there to let you, one, share with me what's going on, so long as you're ready to take what I'm going to share right back with you. And so round and round we'd go where if we had a problem with each other, we were going to deal with it right there, right then. And when we were done, we moved on from it, and life moved on. There was no problem there. There was no struggle because we'd gotten everything we needed to say out of the way, and now we could move on with our lives. But something that we've already run into a couple of times is if we have a disagreement, one of us isn't always ready to just deal with it right there in the moment. One of us may want to have the opportunity to go back and to, to think about it, to make sure that they fully understand what's going on, where the other one is then chasing them down the hall, saying, no, we're going to deal with this right here, right now. We're going to fix the problem. We're going to deal with it all. And that's one of the ways that the devil can grab a hold in your life and try to twist it so that he can steal it, destroy it, and kill it. Not for his own gain, but in order to take away the happiness that God has given to you. So as you continue to move forward, know that in marriage that can happen, but the same thing is happening in our normal lives. The same thing is happening with you right now because as I said before, yes, you have a rookie season of marriage. You have a rookie season of, of the first year that you're married and I hope for some of you that have been married a long time, this is an opportunity for you to think back to that wedding day. Think back to that first year. Think back to those moments when you were with that person, when you finally married them. You were able to look at them and know that they're yours. You guys have committed to a lifetime together and I hope that makes you feel, you know, kind of all tingly. Maybe you've got butterflies floating around in your stomach. And for those of you who are not married, for whatever reason it may be, understand that marriage is not the only place that a rookie season comes up. Rookie seasons are everywhere. We're in one right now. Because your life here on this earth, you may have created a story for yourself and figured out, this is what my life will look like, only to discover it is nothing like what you looked like. For some of you who had your preschool dreams, remember, I wanted to be Batman. Does it look like I'm Batman? Not right this second, but you don't know. You don't know me. All right. <laughs> but to understand that we are living in a, in, a, in a life full of things that we didn't expect, full of things that are unforeseen, full of problems and issues and struggles, full of times when we come home from work, we know that that paycheck isn't going to cover the bills. Something to where we're going out with our friends and maybe we're hanging out, maybe we're doing something there only to find out that they started dating the girl you were interested in. Or maybe to find out that 
they owed you $100 and yet they've been buying all this stuff they don't need and they still haven't paid you back. The devil will use anything in our lives to try to steal, kill, and destroy the relationships that we have, to try to ruin our rookie season here on earth. And that's not just me trying to tell you that. That's, again, what Scripture tells us. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to open to it. And just to give you some context about this, Jesus has just given the Sermon on the Mount. He's just gone through the Beatitudes. He's just unleashed this incredible message to the people, talking about how the meek will inherit the earth, how all of those who are weak are going to be strong, how God thrives in our weaknesses because in that he makes us strong. And then he ends it with this idea, and also God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. But be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus does not say, people might make fun of you. People might tell lies about you. People might treat you like garbage. People might stop being your friend because of your faith. He says, expect these things. Not because they, they might, but because they will. The enemy is not someone who's just hanging out with us trying to make us feel like, man, there could be a bad thing that comes. No, the enemy is attacking you at all times. The enemy is attacking your marriage, is attacking your relationships, is attacking your friendships, is attacking your work relationships, is attacking everything he possibly can in order to steal, kill, and destroy what God has given to you. And so for you to be aware of that, for you to be looking towards that, to understand that, that Satan is not going to take a break. If you ever feel like there's no turmoil in your life, man, pray that God keeps it that way because there could be the biggest, ugliest thing coming up next. Satan has so much planned to try to ruin what you have, to try to take you away from the good things in your life, and ultimately to try to take you away from what God has planned for your life. But as the devil is, is working through this, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus' purpose, Jesus' calling, Jesus' plan for you is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, that's not a rich and satisfying life here and the now. It's not this idea that if you follow Jesus, man, is everything going to be perfect. You're going to be rich. You're going to be famous. Everyone's going to know your name. Nothing is ever going to go wrong for you. No, when Jesus says you're going to have a rich and satisfying life, he's talking in the future. He's talking that when he returns, your life will be perfect. In other translations, this is, uh, my purpose is to give them life that they may live it to the fullest. To understand that Jesus is talking about what's coming for you, but here in the now, you're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience the thief attempting to steal, kill, and destroy all that you hold dear. But through it all, Jesus is going to walk with you. Jesus is going to continue to help you. Jesus is going to continue to help push you forward. And we can create whatever story we want. I mean, really, if you think about it, the life of a Christian, it sounds like it should be pretty great. You've been baptized, drafted onto God's team. You're the bride of Christ. You're married to the Father. You're married to the one who drafted you. You're married to the son of the owner. 
You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the greatest workout regimen there is, the greatest supplement we have available to us. You're being filled with the Holy Spirit. The grace of God is eternally running through your veins. And in that moment, we can think to ourselves, man, everything's just going to be great from here on out. And yet what Jesus has just shared with us is that the enemy does not rest for those who follow Jesus. The enemy is constantly coming after you, but where we can take heart is in the knowledge that we have that his purpose Jesus' purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life, a life that will take us into eternity, a life that will continue to, to just let us know how loved we are and that eventually we'll no longer have any pain or any suffering or anything at all. So as you're moving forward today, as you're moving into the next parts of your day, the next parts of your lives, as you're walking around, if you're someone who's married Think about that first year of your marriage. Think about how awesome it has been in your life. And also think about the struggles you have. For those of you who aren't married, think about what God is doing in your life. And maybe as you're looking back, as you're maybe, you know, hindsight's 2020, look at where God has blessed you, but also look at where the devil tripped you up, where the devil tried to steal, kill, and destroy something that you had, or maybe he succeeded. And learn from that. And see how God can help you in moving forward to know that in this current rookie season, although your expectations of what it would look like may have been wrong, God still has something so much greater planned for you, so much more than you could ever expect. And it comes when his son returns, when the groom returns to collect his bride, to present her blameless before God our Father. Come, Lord, quickly. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly.